Here we are in the second week of Easter. Uh, is that right? Well, I guess we had second week yesterday, and we're approaching the third week. That's right. Our episode today is going to be about the third Sunday of Easter. Third Sunday of Easter. How was your second Sunday of Easter? It was good. I preached um, and really kind of focused on a lot of the things that we talked about. Um, the main, the main part of my homily was look at how Thomas waited hmm. and the uncertainty and the unknown. Oh, with he the, was there. The well, the, what we mentioned last week that it was a week later than the rest of the guys. Yeah. 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 And I, and I kind of emphasize that as like, this is real strength. Like he was in the dark for a week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and right after Jesus was crucified. So this is prime time, get out of Dodge right. opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He waited. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that point. I, um, I didn't get a chance to preach, but I was happy with the homily that was preached uh, in the community here was really great. I, I had never thought about this, and it was something we didn't talk about, but it was kind of talking about this, the value of doubt and how doubt isn't a bad thing per mm. se, but that doubt is maybe it's an invitation to deeper faith and that, I don't know, there's something pejorative, I think, in most of our interpretations of doubt in that. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, which is interesting. Well, that's also how you test the spirits, like St. Paul says. Yeah, yeah. Like, does this make sense? I don't know. Right. And what I, what I also found interesting is that he, the preacher, said something really great. He said how, he didn't, he didn't explicitly say it this way, but this is how I interpreted it, was if I were to preach on what he said, it would be like drawing a connection between the wounds of Christ and the doubt of Thomas and how, hmm. like, there's a woundedness in his faith. You know, there's like a, a gap in his faith. There's a gash in his faith. And there's a desire there for Jesus to allow him to enter into the darkness with him. Like there's, I don't know, he's sort of drawing a connection. Yeah, I like that a lot. Drawing a connection between doubt and wounds. Um, anyway, I just thought it was really, it was a really good homily. It was really challenging. Um, yeah, very cool. Very cool. I will say, I mean, this kind of gets us into this upcoming week too, but these Easter narratives are just so full of so much, yeah. you know? Like there's, yeah, it's so much. <laughs> I got to say like, I, I am a big fan of Christmas, but I am a much bigger fan, I think, of the readings from Easter because uh-huh. the the Christmas mysteries are beautiful and they're deeply important and they're also really challenging. But I don't know. There's just something about the Easter season that it's uh, sorry, the Christmas season that is kind of surrounded by so much. I don't want to say superficiality, but there's that. And it's also a lot of like niceness. Whereas with Easter, there's something very cosmic. Hap- I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Like yeah. I'm maybe well, reacting to that. No, I th- no, no, no. I don't think you are. And I think that's exactly why in like the Advent readings, um, there's still that connection with the Passion, mm. because you can't have the Incarnation without the Passion. Sure, sure. Like the Resurrection makes this all anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure, for sure. And I also think that like literarily, I guess there's something really cool about the <laughs> the stories that we get during Easter for the, from the Gospels. Yeah. They're usually very long. Like stories, you know, you get last week. Well, it's sort of, here's what's, here's what's going on. Like Mm -hmm. that happened. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. And I I guess maybe also too, one of the reasons I find it very good uh, for me spiritually is that a lot of these readings are, you know, about faith and doubt, which I struggle with. And there's also like, you have the person of Peter and then the person of Thomas and then the person, you know, of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And there's just such evocative stories that really invite me to contemplation, you know, into entering into them with more depth. I don't know. I'm just finding it to be very fruitful. Um, like I could, I could pray on Thomas forever, you know, like that's such oh, a, yeah. a beautiful passage. Yeah. Um, 
No, I mean, this uh, this upcoming Sunday is no different. I think that the gospel passage is one that I have sat with plenty of times in prayer. Um, yeah, we're talking the road, yeah. to, the road to Emmaus. How about, how about the you? The road to Emmaus. You know, this is one of those moments. I like that story so much. That's one of the reasons why I like the gospel of Luke so much, is this exact story. Um, and that can be a bad thing when preaching, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I like it so much. And I have so many little sometimes disconnected things to say about it. I have to be really careful not to, not to do that. Sure. What's one really thing you focus. like about it? I, re- I, so I use this story when I, when I talk about the liturgy um, and I don't know why it's not talked about in that way more often, maybe because something really obvious that I'm missing. <laughs> um, but I think there's a wonderful uh, pilgrimage. You know, these people are, are walking and then the Old Testament is opened up to them. And then he is the word. So he is the new covenant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they recognize who he is at the breaking of the bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I just find a very liturgical, um, I just get that kind of sense from this, sure, from the story. Sure. So, and then they're, and then they go out and they're sent. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, so, so here's something interesting, and I, I think that what you're saying is a really great uh, interpretation, and I think it's one that has a lot of fruit in it to preach about, you know, sort of a, the core of what Mass is like and the liturgy here with the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, and all of it has its culmination in communion with Jesus. So I want to keep that because I think that's good, but I want to zoom out for a second and maybe like situate this gospel passage within the broader narrative of the Gospel of Luke. And I want to maybe draw a parallel to help your point, I think, draw a parallel from this gospel to the... I I got to preach in Mass on Friday, and it was John 21, which is uh, the the guys go out to fish, you know, after the resurrection. Uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I said there, which ties in, I think, here, is that John 21 is a bit of a strange chapter because it comes after what seems to be the end of John's gospel, and it's kind of like an epilogue. Uh, you know, where John's gospel has a prologue. It seems to have an epilogue. But the epilogue in John's gospel is them on the boat fishing and then encountering Jesus and being challenged to love him and to feed the sheep. And what I preached on was that it seems like that chapter is an epilogue that that shows what that this is now the era of the church. And yeah. this is the image yeah, yeah. of the church, is Peter on the ship fishing and is unable to fish successfully unless Jesus is with him. Um, and so the mission of the church is fruitless unless Jesus is the one who moves it. And the reason I'm saying all that in light of this Sunday coming up is I'm wondering, I don't know how many chapters are left in Luke's gospel after this, but maybe one. But there's something... It's, uh, it's the end. This Is this the very last passage? Uh, I don't... No, they have the ascension. They have the ascension in Luke. Um, the ascension ends there, it. Yeah, it's four, it's four sentences. <laughs> okay, so this is the very end. And I wanted to think about this kind of to your point. How can we think of this chapter as kind of an epilogue to the Gospel of Luke, where it has sort of an allegorical connotation of the life of the church? That this is not just just two particular disciples, but it's also like this is the church on pilgrimage. And when the church on pilgrimage fails to run towards Jerusalem and is walking away from Jerusalem, like Jesus meets the church where she's at, but also breaks open the word and breaks over the open the sacraments for her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sorry. consider the the early name for the church, the way. Yeah. And here yeah. they are on the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And so Jesus has to meet them and turn them back to the right way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you can, maybe there's something about preaching in terms of like the entire book of Acts is the 
you know, the acts of the church, what the church is doing. But I think that these gospels give us sort of an epilogue that's kind of a a parable of what life in the church is like. And one of the ways that the life in the church is like is the Pope, you know, heading the ship into unknown waters. But here it's, you know, faithful companions on pilgrimage, afraid of the night and Jesus encountering them along the way. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. There could be a great homily there of reflecting on how this is what the church is in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think there's something to um, as we've been talking. It's it's coming up that um, the this being sent is being is my attention is being drawn there, and in connection with Pentecost, um, there's a there's a connection there with fire. I think we're not our hearts burning within us. Uh, and then f- the and then at Pentecost the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what are we? How? What is our response to this resurrection? But to have our hearts lit on fire. Yeah, yeah. With the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And what is? And that what? What do we do from there? Mm-hmm. Like, I really think there's this mission focused um, push. Oh, totally. In these days, especially leading up. I mean, in context with Pentecost mm-hmm. coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, you, I mean, I think that is a really good sort of like uh, culminating expression of everything that came before is that they start off walking away. They are afraid. Jesus meets them and they don't even recognize him and how maybe there's yeah. an examine there for me. Like this whole thing could be yeah. kind of an examine of like when I'm afraid, I don't really recognize the Lord, but the Lord meets me there anyway in the scriptures and in the breaking of the bread. And then the fruit from that is a heart set on fire. It's not just the fruit of that is nice feelings of feeling warm and loved. It's Yeah, or being a good person. Mm-hmm. Like this is another one of my soapboxes that mm-hmm. this isn't just a system of, of ethics of how to be a good person. Right, right. It's how to be a new person. Yeah, yeah. One whose heart is set on fire for sure. And yeah. I, the only reason I don't like that phrase too much, the burning within us, is because I think it gets it becomes kind of trite where – you know, go set the world on fire, have a heart set on fire. It's like, well, there's something really powerful if we just reflect on what fire does. You know, there's a purifying element to fire. So yeah. a heart that's... Or what the fire is. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Like, if we're just zealous for the sake of being zealous, that's nothing. Yeah, and I guess that's... Our hearts have point. to be burning with the Holy Spirit. And not just zeal, right? It's not yeah. zeal, yeah. but it's zeal for your house. You know, zeal for the house consumes me. Um, I like that. I like that. Um, one thing I wanted to maybe draw your attention to, I don't know if you picked up on it, but another detail within this passage that I find really striking, um, with that their eyes were opened um, and they recognized him, but he vanished yeah. from their sight. Um, there's a lot of ink that's been spilled on this last part. His, he vanished from their sight, some people would say, because they consumed him in the bread. So you know, you no longer need images when you have the real presence. I want to focus on their eyes were opened. Like I, I get, I get and feel an invitation to reflect on that just because I think a lot about Saint Ignatius in his autobiography. Uh, his whole conversion is told from the perspective of a man who's blind and whose eyes are slowly opened. And yeah. over the course of his conversion, the the narrative is constantly referring to how he did not quite yet see fully, and eventually he saw fully. So how the whole process of conversion is one of progressively having better sight. Um, and it reminds me of like the blind man in the Gospels where he he saw a little bit first, partially, and then he was healed fully 
and the sort of the stages of progression in the spiritual life is that it's a it's an ongoing process of coming to have sight. Um, yeah. Anyway, what do you what do you make of all? No, that? I like that. I like that a lot. And and I'm thinking of um, with that, like it's not just magic. You know, we're not we're not praying for good luck charms. Like if you do this, then you'll be healed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's at the breaking of the bread. Like that's the focus. Right. And when you recognize that for what it is, that's the catalyst for their eyes being opened. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Which is so fascinating because it's the thing, you know, it's the source and summit language that we use. It's the thing itself that opens our eyes. And then it's that thing itself that we culminate and come back to. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's how our eyes are open further as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so good, good. Maybe another point, little <laughs> point uh, from here that I wanted to draw your attention to is how he interpreted the scriptures and how they referred to him. I just, I find that yeah, <laughs> well, kind of silly, yeah, funny. It's like, and see that part right there? Yeah, that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting too, and you'll have to help me out with this, our second reading from the, from First Peter. Like, I don't really understand exactly what's going on in that first part, because it seems like he's saying all that stuff that came before, futile conduct. Hmm. Um, You were transformed from your futile conduct. Handed on by your ancestors. Conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your sojourning, realizing that you were transformed from your futile conduct, handed on by your ancestors. Is that what that means? Uh... Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I mean, like, there's <laughs> there's something here about like uh, the futile conduct. I think is in reference to the sacrifices that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that the blood of bulls and goats can't forgive your sins. You know, but the blood yeah, of Jesus. But it's Christ interesting. Can. It's interesting that he talks about it as futile conduct. If it were futile, then it's nothing. You just give it up. But it's fulfilled now in Christ, and it's not given up entirely. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the word futile as like amounting to nothing, like in terms of yeah. it's like a frustrated endeavor. You know, you can keep or like that, fu- like that fire, like that zeal that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, like that in itself is futile unless Ooh. it's oh yeah yeah, um, yeah 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 unless it's lit by the Holy Spirit. I was gonna say, like, think of the retreat high. You know, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, when people <laughs> go to the retreats and they have these highs and they leave. And then it just putters out. It's not to call into question if it was real or not, because definitely God moves. But it makes you kind of wonder. It's like, if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's kind of this just human zeal. I don't know. Yeah. You know, one, Ooh. One, one Ooh, them, I like that. One of them is futile. The other one is apostolic. You know, one of them yeah. impels mission. The other one ultimately fails to do anything, you know? Well, and I think, I wonder if there's, there's all, another connection to last week, you know, because we're talking about doubt. Like, does that retreat high allow for a low? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have to stay on that, maintain that high mm-hmm. in order to be, you know, in the spirit or whatever? So here, here's, a, here's a question. Here's a question. Is there That's a heresy, by the way, and it's not true. <laughs> yeah, right. So here, here's a question. Is, is there such a thing as futile fire? Mm. And I'm wondering, like, maybe this me might be a good reflection for me to prepare my homily. Is like, if if fire is to be useful, I think it needs to give off light and give off heat. Yeah, you know, a cold flame 
is not useful and a dim flame is also not useful. Um, and maybe there's just a challenge there to reflect on myself of like, do I give off light? Do I give off heat? Or do I suck light and suck heat out of the world? You know, um, there's just something, something interesting there, right? Like, am I on fire with the Holy Spirit or am yeah, I, no, absolutely. am I deadening to the world? Hmm. Yeah. Well, and for me, it, it keeps coming back to this question of the source. Mm-hmm. Like, am, I can shine the light. Absolutely. And Christ tells us to be light for others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but am I the source of that light? No. <laughs> no, not at all. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it like took- it's, it's given to me. It's, it's become mine in a sense. Right. But it still has to have its source in, in the blood of the cross. Right. Just like you were saying before that the burning happens after they, yeah. They see and receive the Lord. Um, yeah. That's good, man. Hey, and the and the greatest example of all this, I guess, is our first reading, right, with Peter. You know. Well, yeah, yeah. Say more about that. Well, I just think it's interesting that when people have objections to the early church and say that the early church is just a a bunch of men who, you know, are liars, are liars, and are not, you know, actually convicted about, are not actually, you know, doing the work of God. It's like, I think a futile flame or you know a mm. dim flame mm. is yeah. one that can't endure the kind of persecution that these men. Uh, endured, and also a futile flame, a cold flame, a dim flame isn't going to be bold enough to stand in front of the Sanhedrin and say, "You are lawless men." Like, yeah, that's pretty bold. They just saw, like Peter just saw what they did to Christ, and he's calling them lawless, and he's saying that they delivered up Jesus to crucify him. Like, there's something really fascinating about his boldness, right? That's one of my favorite words from the Book of Acts. They, their boldness. But that boldness can't come from Peter. It's not Peter's, mm. you know? And that's the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we are a futile flame, I want to say, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And and I, I also love that, you know, to be bold, like the apostles were bold. Um, yeah, who do you trust? I think that's a big question. Um, now that we've seen what we've seen, mm-hmm. the resurrection, do you believe it? Do you trust it? Yeah, but are you also like docile to letting the Holy Spirit work through you? Right. You know. Yeah, um, and you may not know. Like right now, you don't have to have perfect knowledge of all things. That's in fact impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what's actually so harder? So sometimes for you, you're gonna doubt. You know what? What's harder for me more more than the difficulty of letting the Spirit work through me? I think my challenge is to trust that the Spirit is working through someone else. <laughs> so, mm. like for me, for me, well, for me to like feel confident that God has blessed me with gifts. Or, you know, even have the, the courage to use my gifts. Like, that's that's one challenge. But another challenge is to say, like, oh, my brother here has been gifted. And I'm humble enough and happy enough to let him, let him rejoice and shine brightly, you know, because that's the spirit. The same spirit is working through him. Yeah. And, you know, the enemy of that that wants to quench that flame in my brother is the, is the vice of pride and arrogance. Like, only I have the flame. and no one else can shine brightly because it becomes about me, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. There's a challenge there for me to trust that the spirit works through other people. Well, I mean, and that's exactly for fear of going down a rabbit hole. That's why um, in the Lord of the Rings, Melkor, where was the imperishable flame? It wasn't in the void where he looked for it. It was with everybody else. Mm. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. 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 So the Holy Spirit is with the community, you know, it's yeah. with the church. Yeah. Right, like the church gathered is the body of Christ. That's where the spirit of God is. 
Um, yeah, but we're tempted to go out into the void with ourselves. Yeah, no. And to pretend like that's where it comes from. So notice the last line of the first reading. So Yeah, I was just looking at that. Where is it? Um, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured him forth, as you see in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that great promise of the Holy Spirit. And I think other other parts of the book of Acts then add on to that something like, and great yeah. numbers were added that day. You know, yeah. It's, it's well, and to your first point, like this is the church. Mm-hmm. Like it all comes back to Christ instituting the church. And if it were simply something that we did, then, like you said, it would cease to be because it was built on wrong found a wrong foundation. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Any uh, parting thoughts here before we go? Uh, no. Go pray. All right. Sounds good, bro. Till next time. Alrighty.